In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The parable of the Great Supper describes first century Israel. God announced the coming feast of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus the Messiah came to say that all things were ready. It was time to come to the feast. But the people did not respond to the invitation. So God invited those in the streets and lanes of the city. This refers to the marginal and non-observant Jewish people. And then finally, when there was still room, the invitation was extended to those in the highways and hedges, which represent the Samaritans and the Gentiles, those who were formerly completely outside the covenant community. Though it is aimed at first century Israel, the parable has an application to us. Through baptism and faith, we have become a part of God's chosen people. We are currently the invited guests. God has called us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we experience a foretaste of as we gather around the altar. The two-stage invitation is central to understand the meaning of both the interpretation and the application. There is first a general announcement that there will be a feast, and then preparations are made. Later on, there's a specific call to come because the feast is ready and it's actually time to eat. For Israel, the Old Testament was the general announcement. The specific call to come was when Jesus began to say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or right here. For us, the general announcement can be interpreted as our baptism and experience of conversion, which numbers us among the chosen people and places within us the hope of resurrection and life in the world to come. The specific call to come can be interpreted in two ways. First, it can be interpreted as the second coming. Jesus appears and the feast is fully and finally ready. Second, it can be viewed as any circumstance in which the demands of being a follower of Christ requires us to respond now. For example, as Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. It suggests that whenever we see someone and have an ability, especially someone in the body of Christ, and have an ability to respond, we respond to Christ. Christ comes to us and says, now is the time. The present response is connected to the future hope. It is by listening for and responding to the call of God right now that we make ourselves ready for the coming heavenly feast. We become faithful or faithless through dozens of daily decisions to do or not do 
the will of God right now. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins teaches us that we cannot postpone our response to the invitation until the last minute. Continual and habitual faithfulness is the only way to be sure that we will be ready at the specific moment of the call. And there is a time when it is too late to begin to try to be faithful. There is no one thing we can do that will amount to faithfulness. <clears throat> For example, a past experience of conversion will secure for us a place in the future feast only if it is the beginning of a new way of life. If we say yes to God in the emotion of a particular moment, but then do not respond when called later on, we are just like the invited guests in the parable who ultimately did not partake of the feast. <clears throat> this is why we put such an emphasis on the life of prayer. It is through habitual prayer that we continually experience God's presence, discern his will for our lives, and find the grace to respond faithfully. Jesus said, watch ye therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This does not only mean that we don't know when the second coming will take place. It also means we do not know when Jesus will come to us and call us to be faithful in some new way. Continual readiness is related to what we call a rule of life. Our rule of life is our regular pattern of prayer and spiritual disciplines. Our basic rule consists of our habitual and personal participation in the church's threefold pattern of prayer. The Eucharist, the daily offices of morning and evening prayer, and our personal conversation of prayer with God. Our practice of these types of prayer is seasoned with various other spiritual disciplines. We are in the second week of the season of Trinity. It is appropriate to adjust our rule of life for the various seasons of the year. <clears throat> Prayer works best, we're able to sustain it most effectively, <clears throat> when regular habits of prayer are combined with periodic adjustments to the routine that guard us against complacency. Our life of prayer ought to take on the particular characteristics of the liturgical season. Lent is our foundational season of penitence and preparation. And then it gives way to an extended season of celebration that extends from Easter until Trinity Sunday. Then we come to Trinity, which is a bit of an enigma. It lacks both 
the penitential tone of Lent and the character of celebration that we feel during Easter. And the tendency during this long green season is to settle into a kind of spiritual malaise. To guard against this, our rule for Trinity should include a weekly practice of fasting. Of course, our rule should also include a regular practice of celebration. But joy and peace in the Christian life are integrally related to fasting and penitence. When we embrace a regular practice of fasting, we experience an increase in joy and peace. Easter, or Lent and Easter, are the big illustration of this principle. And Trinity should include this pattern in a shorter but regular and habitual cycle. A good practice is to have at least a day a week when you don't do the things that you most enjoy. This helps us to maintain the freedom that we experience so powerfully during the Lenten fast. We can only say yes in the right way when we are also able to say no. By habitually practicing saying no, we maintain the freedom to say yes in the right way. As an aid to our corporate growth, we will reinstitute during the season of Trinity our observance of Wednesday as a day of fasting and prayer in our church. For roughly the past year, with the exceptions of the celebration seasons, we have fasted and prayed on Wednesdays as a church and asked people to participate with three specific uh, intentions. One is for uh, grace that people will experience conversion of heart and spiritual growth through the ministry of our church. The second is that God will open new avenues of mission and outreach to us. And the third is that God will provide for the needs we have as church. I ask you to join us again during Trinity in fasting and praying on Wednesdays for these things. It should be highlighted that these intentions are related to each other. Our spiritual growth, both individually and then as a body, is what most draws people to the church and most facilitates the conversion of unconverted hearts. Evangelism is not a program or a method. It is our witness to what Christ is doing in us. When God is at work in us and others see God at work in us, others are drawn to us because they want to be a part of what God is doing. And when God is at work in us and drawing others to us, it always seems that the needs of the church are provided for as a result. We need to remind ourselves that fasting is spiritual exercise. God does not take any particular pleasure in our being hungry or because we deny ourselves some pleasure for a time. God is happy when we 
get stronger and grow in the faith. Just like a parent is happy as a child grows and matures as a person. We do not get stronger either physically or spiritually without exercise. When we fast, we exercise, as it were, our spiritual muscles for the purpose of growing in spiritual strength. And when we exercise consistently over time, we do, in fact, grow in grace. We do not fast merely or mainly for behavioral improvement. We fast mainly to improve our ability to pray. As Martin Thornton writes, quote, against Pelagius, an ancient English heretic, and all extreme humanism, the contention is that we do not embrace religion to improve our morals, but rather we undertake the moral struggle in order to improve our prayer. Christian fasting, and there are all kinds of fasting, and not all of it is of a Christian character. Christian fasting turns us from self toward God in prayer. The end result is improved prayer that draws us closer to God. The fruit of that closer communion is that we are more naturally inclined to act in a faithful and virtuous manner. Prayer is always the foundation and the beginning, and holiness is always the fruit and the result. The color of Trinity season is green, which represents growth. Trinity season provides its own unique spiritual opportunity. Whereas Lent is a concentrated course in the Christian life that helps us to experience significant things in a relatively short period of time, Trinity aims at a more gradual and sustainable spirituality, a practice of spiritual disciplines that we can maintain for the next six months until Advent. The goal is to stay close to God so that we can hear what he is saying to us and respond faithfully whenever Jesus calls us to come to the feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.